So greetings to our listeners on Impact Radio. Thank you for joining and tuning in with us this morning. As we turn our attention to the Word of God, let's just say a word of prayer. So Father, as we turn our attention to your Word, as we're going to read from the book of Romans today, I do pray that by your Spirit you enlighten our minds, help us to understand. But also, Lord, if there's any specific part of a passage that we're going to read today that applies to our lives, won't you, as we read and as we discuss, won't you just highlight that for us and, and work it through in our minds and in our hearts in only the way that you can? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was so struck and challenged by Pastor Louis' message last week, and as he shared with me what he was going to be sharing, it's, it's quite immediate the Lord dropped in my spirit what I should be sharing with you today. And so I want to start by just kind of paraphrasing my way through Romans chapter 12. And verse 1 and 2. And, and if I can encourage you, if you have a Bible close by or a device and it's at all possible while you're listening to, to get that ready because we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Scriptures today. Uh, Romans 12 verse 1 and 2. Paul uh, speaks to the people of God in Rome, the, the church in Rome, probably about 1,960 years ago. Paul, the man of God, writes to this community in a significant church in a significant city, and we're believers in a significant city in our nation. And he writes to them and he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, to offer your whole life, your whole being as a living sacrifice, because this is holy. This is what pleases God. This is true and proper worship. And as Pastor Louis shared with us, there is such a thing as true and proper worship. In verse, what we call verse 2, Paul goes on and he says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let what is normal in this age, the way people think, the way people live, don't conform to that. Rather be transformed. The, the Greek word is so interesting. It's the word we use for, it's the word metamorphosize. And it connotes this idea of a deep and fundamental change. Don't conform to what you see going on around you, but change fundamentally by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, because it is possible to know God's will in our age and in our time, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you'll remember last week, perhaps that Pastor Louis used the illustration of a clock, where if we look at the outside face of a clock, and it's not working, the, the effort and the self-effort and the energy that we have to expend to keep things looking right. We, actually, what's required is just this, to fix the mechanism, to make the fundamental change on the inside. You see, as Pastor Louis shared, authentic change comes from the inside out. As the Holy Spirit works in us, renews our mind, we metamorphosize, we change and become new. So it's not a matter of external effort, but of transformation by the Spirit. Now, the word transformation's got quite a few connotations. In fact, I would almost say it's been captured by this age. But remember what I said earlier. It's this idea of being conformed to Jesus' image, to be transformed to Jesus' image, to metamorphosize, to change from a fallen, broken, sinful being, who, a person who desires sin, to a person who wants to live and please and know God's will. It's a fundamental change, literally like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, and it's a process. It's, you don't get a, renew mind, a renewed mind completely 
when, you know, the moment you're born again or give your life to Jesus, dedicate your life to living for him. It's a process that we have to go through to be, to move away from being conformed to being transformed. The section in Romans is very interesting from chapters 12, 13, 14, 15 onwards because kind of up till the in Rome, Paul's, Paul's been explaining what God has done in view of God's mercy. Everything that God has done for us and his people. There's quite a lot of theology and thinking there. And now it translates into how do we live this out? Now for Paul, theology and practice weren't two sections of life. They were intertwined because if you think right about God, you live right for God. It's very intertwined. But in this section, Paul moves a lot and he starts giving a lot of commands and instructions. I'll talk about that now. But when we read here, for example, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's not a suggestion, that's a command. The transformed life for us, brothers and sisters, is not an optional extra. You see, either we're going to be conformed to the pattern of the world, conformed to this age, or we're going to have a transformed life. Either we're going to have a captured mind, or we're going to have a renewed mind. Now, you might have thought that state capture is bad, and it is, and it's done evil in our nation, and it's caused destruction. But a captured mind is far worse than state capture. In fact, we wouldn't have state capture if we had didn't have captured minds. But either you have a captured mind or you have a renewed mind. And it is encouraging that it is possible to know God's will in every aspect of our life. Now, I believe there's a pro progression in our lives. And I think it goes like this. As I'm individually transformed by this process of renewing the mind, I express that transformation, the change that I'm experiencing on the inside comes out to the outside, and that outside is expressed in Christian community. And when that's expressed in Christian community, that leads to transformed community. So individual transformation leads to community transformation. And that's the title of my message today, the transformed people of God. I believe that God wants us to be aware that it's not only about us that has changed, but that we also have an obligation as a community to transform and so we're talking today about the transformed people of God. The next section in this passage in the book of Romans, verses 3 to 8, chapters 12, verse 3 to 8, Paul actually talks about thinking ourselves of ourselves with sober judgment. And he brings in the body analogy where we're all part of a body, but every part of the body is different. So part of having a renewed mind is learning to think correctly about the body of Christ. Now, today we're not going to talk about how we must think soberly about our gifts. I really want to pick up and read about 20 verses of Scripture from Romans chapter 12, from verse 9 to 21, and then we're going to skip the section where Paul talks about how we relate to governing authorities, and then we're going to read again from Romans 13, verse 8 to 14. So Romans chapter 12, from verse 9 to 21, and then Romans 13, from verse 8 to 14. Now, in this section, Paul gives just a whole lot of instructions. In fact, it's a certain style of writing that he employs. You know, I think if Paul were alive today and he was doing this on a modern word processor, he would use the bullet lists. You know, like where you just have all those little dots and you this, 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 this. It's kind of a bullet list of stuff that we get here. But the content of these bullets is very important. It's all about issues that affect personal relationships, issues that affect personal relationships inside the Christian community, but also how the Christian community relates personally to those outside of it as well. And so we have a bullet list, and in everything we're sharing today, two, two important things. These are issues that affect personal relationships. And secondly, remember, the change is always from the inside out. 
Paul speaks in this list, and it's kind of like as he's going, he's going, and this, and this, and this. So he speaks to issues inside the church. He speaks to things that are perhaps outside the church. Now, today I don't want to live, you know, I kind of counted up. There's at least 30 instructions here, 30 plus. You could even maybe get as high as 40, depending how you read certain sections. But I don't want to deliver a 30 plus sermon section, and I don't want to give you 30 rules to obey. Paul lists these things because he wants us to have godly relationships and good personal relationships inside the transformed community of God. And so as I've been preparing and trusting the Lord today, uh, what I'm really going to end up doing is sharing four overarching principles that kind of summarize these 30 plus instructions that Paul gives. But before we get there, I'd like to read those passages and I understand this might be a little bit difficult on the radio, but I want to read all 20 verses. And, And I know you're fit for 20 verses of the Bible Uh, So we're going to go for it, we're going to be brave, and we're going to read all those 20 verses in one sitting, and then I'm going to just highlight the principles from those verses as we go. So we're first going to read Romans 12, verse 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now we're going to drop down to Romans chapter 13, verse 8. So maybe click on your screen to go to the next chapter. Turn the page in your Bible if necessary. Romans 13, verse 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others fulfills the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to awake from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. I'll explain that a bit later. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor, armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
And so we see here there's a whole lot of you must do and do not do. It's this bullet list that Paul's giving that's defining what a transformed people of God looks like, how they relate to one another, but always from the inside out. I'd like to start by reading again, as we break this down a little bit, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, just as the first verse there. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, probably one of the words that has been captured very badly in the last while, last couple of decades, is this idea of love. I think Hollywood, Bollywood, Nollywood have all taught us that love is about emotions and feelings. Now, when the Bible uses, and there is that part of love, but when the Bible speaks of love here, it's, it's the Greek word agape, which wasn't incredibly commonly used word in the first century. But it, was, it speaks of love, but it's the love that's focused on the good of the other. Now, here it's used as a noun, but most often in the New Testament it's used as a verb because love is how we act towards the good of the other. That's the New Testament understanding. It's the biblical understanding of love. So when we talk about love here, it's not about how I feel towards people. It's about how I act towards them. And Paul here, writing to this significant church in a significant city, says, Love must be sincere. But it's interesting also that in the same verse, there's this moral component that comes in. It says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. You see, love has a moral component. There's a right and a wrong in love. You see, you can't say you love someone sincerely, but you're tolerating evil. In fact, you can only say you love sincerely if you're clinging to what is good and you're doing what is right. But what does it mean or look like to love what does it mean to love sincerely, to cling to what is good in the transformed people of God? So first overarching principle for today, the transformed people of God love sincerely. This is Romans 12 verse 9. We're going to look at it all the way through to about verse 16. And then also Romans 13 verse 8 to 10. So principle number one for today, for the transformed people of God, they love sincerely. In fact, all the other principles we're going to highlight today or in this framework of what does it mean to love sincerely. One of the things that happens in a Christian community that loves sincerely is that we build a culture of honor. The text actually says, in the NIV, it says, honor one another above yourselves. Now, the idea there in the regional language is, is a little bit different. Now, if you're a competitive type of person, this is kind of your section. Yeah, it says, actually, try and, uh, the idea is to outdo each other in showing honor. Outdo each other, compete with one another to honor each other more than the other one. Um, and this is interesting that if we lived in a community where love was sincere, we would be, have a culture of honor. Commentator Douglas Moo says probably the, Paul's intent for that section where it says, keep your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. He says the, the language is much more uh, intentional about saying, be set on fire by the Spirit of God to serve the Lord. Be set on fire by the Spirit of God to serve the Lord. You don't just get set on fire by the Spirit of God to experience the fire, to revel in the fire, to feel the fire. You are set on fire with a purpose, to serve the Lord. It's a motivation for service. It goes on and it says we must be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, generous to those in the community who have need, and we must be hospitable. These are very practical expressions of sincere love. If we drop down to verse 15, it says, we must mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. We must empathize. 
In modern language, we would say to sincerely love one another means to be there for one another, to be part of the good and the bad, the ups and the downs of the people in our community's lives. Uh, live in harmony with one another is another important principle here. Literally, the Greek says to think. Remember about renewing the mind? To think the same of one another. Think of each other as equal. That's why you can associate with people irrespective of their societal and social position because you're not conceited. Think the same thing of one another in terms of value and significance in the body of Christ. So we're talking about that the transformed people of God love sincerely. I want to quickly drop to the next chapter in Romans 13, verse 8 to 10. And there Paul just basically says, you know, we're quite familiar with the verse, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. The intention there is that you have an obligation. There is no obligation to anybody that accept this obligation to love them sincerely. And then Paul explains that actually if you love the other person, agape love, not tolerant love, love equals tolerance, not love equals emotion, agape love where I have the best interest in the other, I'll actually fulfill the all because if I have your best interest in mind, I'm not going to murder you. I'm not going to steal from you. I won't commit adultery. I won't even covet the good things you have. I won't be jealous of you. So when we love sincerely, we actually end up fulfilling the law. We almost don't have to worry about what are all the rules to keep. As long as I'm loving you for your good and for what's your best interest as described in the scripture. You see, there's a true desire to love that is legitimate. But in many of the commandments here, you know, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not murder, they're illegitimate desires. Particularly if I want to covet or steal something from others or murder, all of them, the illegitimate desires. And love is the true desire, it's the true motivation. So when you sincerely love, you'll never do wrong. The transformed community of God loves practically, that is sincerely. Second overarching principle that we see when we love sincerely as the transformed people of God is that the transformed people of God live by the opposite spirit. Now, here we're going to look at Romans 12, verse 14, and then we're going to look at verse 17 all the way through to 21. And most commentators agree that this is largely focused on personal relationships outside the Christian community. Now, hopefully, you know, it's not impossible that we experience things like this inside the Christian community but we would expect this largely to be in our interactions with unbelievers. These are the verses where Paul says, bless those who persecute. You know, what's important here is to understand Paul's not introducing a new idea. He's really just quoting Jesus and some of the principles in the Old Testament. This is Sermon on the Mount stuff where Jesus says, love your enemies and uh, turn the other cheek and things like that. So Paul's just applying the words of Jesus. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not, do not curse. And then very importantly, verse 17, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. If someone's done something bad to you, you don't repay them in kind. Now, what's established in this principle, and it was in my point, is this idea of the opposite spirit. Now, maybe you've been around Christian circles a while and you know what that means, but just so that we're all on the same page, opposite spirit means that I respond in a Christ-like manner when someone's treating me in an evil way or in an unkind, unchrist-like manner. So you don't, uh, so it's for example, when they're hungry, you feed them. When in your workplace, on your front line, maybe it's in college or varsity or at school, when someone is nasty and rude to you, you don't be nasty and rude back because that's how we conform to the pattern of this world, how we conform to this age. 
We respond with kindness and humility. When someone's arrogant and rude, we're humble and loving. When someone's dishonest and wanting to do uh, uh, work towards dishonest gain, we respond with truth and integrity. We live the transformed people of God. Because our minds are renewed, we live by the opposite spirit. As I was preparing, and I, and I always try to be as spirit-led as I can when I prepare, and, and as I'm delivering the message, I think it's just really important to highlight this. It's like there's something strong in the spirit, and maybe it's someone who's listening today, where you've been done wrong, and you want to repay evil for evil. In fact, you're plotting revenge. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Do not, do not, do not. I would urge you, as Paul urged the Roman Christians, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Respond in the opposite spirit. Because, as we see in this verse, this is part of your testimony. Two important elements there. Do what is right in the eyes of, eyes of everyone. Not what they think is right, but what is really right. So if it's important when you're dealing with outsiders to be on time, if it's important to have your contracts in order, do what is right. This is, and, and don't compromise on what is morally right. Not what they think is right, what God thinks is right. Do what is right, because that's part of what gives you credibility. It's part of what enhances your testimony. And as far as possible, live at peace with everyone. I love the realism in this verse. It's not going to be possible to live at peace with everyone. But as far as possible, and, up, and as far as it's possible up to you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I really hope this is more for people outside the church than inside the church, and definitely not for your marriage. Live at peace with everyone. And do not take revenge, Paul repeats. Now, there's an interesting principle here. You see, if, if you want to force revenge, it's like you're cutting God out of the picture. Paul very clearly says you need, God says he's the one who will take revenge. Not because we think it's necessary, but because he knows that the justice is right. Because we're human, fallen, and broken, we never truly can respond appropriately and be perfectly just in every situation. But God is. You know, sometimes I've wished God would repay someone for something they've done to me, and he, and he doesn't. And then I realize it's my human selfishness and desires there. But God is always just in this. But if someone has really wronged you, leave it to God to sort them out in his time and his way. Who would you rather have them sorting it out, yourself or God? I think God's better at that. And then the very, very important principle in verse 21 do not be overcome by evil. Don't let vengeance and getting people back for the wrongs they've done to you. Don't let that govern your life. Very importantly, Paul says, you overcome evil with good. The only way you overcome evil is by doing good. And that is when you live out the opposite spirit. When wrong things are done, you do good things back. So the transformed people of God love sincerely. The transformed people of God live by the opposite spirit. Thirdly, the transformed people of God live with one day in mind. This is in Romans chapter 13. Now we're going to look at verse 11 and the first half of verse 12. So we talk about verse 12a. When I love sincerely, I live with one day in mind. You know how sometimes we talk about one day? My wife and I, well, as a family, we were recently had opportunity to go away for the weekend. And my wife and I were sitting on the stoop and just enjoying the sun. And we were in the bush felt at the time. And apparently she told me I always do this when we're there. I started talking about one day. That day in the future when, you know, our dreams are, or we're going to be able to live our dreams or whatever happens. 
Now, Paul's not talking about that kind of one day here. The one day Paul's talking about here is the day when the kingdom of God comes, when Jesus returns and he establishes his kingdom on earth, when heaven comes. You can say one day when we're in heaven. That's language is also fine to understand here. And in this passage, the transformed people of God live with one day in mind. I live in my present existence knowing that one day the world's going to be perfect. One day Jesus is going to come and his kingdom's going to be established on earth and we're going to live in a perfectly just society because sin will be eradicated. And Paul encourages us that that day is closer now than it's ever been. Now, we don't know the time frames about that, but we know it's closer than it's ever been. Paul actually compares this as that like now we're living in the night, but one day when Jesus comes, it's going to be like living in the day. But he says in Romans 13 verse 11, understand the present time. It's really important that we understand the context of our lives, the real context of our lives. You see, this life is not all there is. This life actually fits into eternal life. And when I'm born again and I become a follower of Christ and a disciple of Jesus, my life fits into eternal life. So when I'm going through hardships now, one day I won't be. When I'm battling with sin and temptation now, one day I won't. And so the principle I like to live by here is that my present conduct is governed by my future existence. One day I'm going to live perfectly holy. Now I'm working towards holiness. But if I have a choice between clinging to what is good and hating what is evil, I'm going to cling to what is good because one day I'm going to live in a world that is only good. You know, correctly and very properly, we talk quite a lot in, in, in our Christian circles about living free from our past and moving on from our past. But I think what Paul has here in mind when he starts thinking about our, our conduct and how we live together is that it's about more than living free from our past. It's also about living towards our future in Christ. And sometimes when I'm wrestling with sin and with deeds of darkness, as it's referred to later on in other passages of Scripture as well, I mustn't remember it's just not about what I'm free from. It's about what I'm free to. And I'm free to live in a future way. I will one day give an account for how I live, but I'm also one day going to be free of sin and I can choose to live like that. So the transformed people of God live with the future in mind. So when I love sincerely, I remember one day. The fourth and last overarching principle from these passages today is that the transformed people of God live by putting aside certain things and putting on other things. I wanted to use the language from the text. The transformed people of God live by putting aside certain things and putting on certain things. This is Romans chapter 12, second half of the verse, all the way through to verse 14. And really, uh, if we remember chapter 12, verse 9, this is the part where we hate what is evil. And because it's been a while since we read it, let me quickly refresh our minds. This part says, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So note the contrast. There's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live. There's a way to live that's the day and the light that is according to God's will, because we know God's will, Romans 12 verse 2, and there's a way that's wrong to live. Now Paul illustrates some of the deeds of darkness for us uh, in verse 13. He talks about carousing and drunkenness. Carousing is um, reveling or loud partying and drunkenness. It's always interesting to me how the drunkenness increases how the louder the partying gets, especially the bass for some reason. 
Okay, But those are deeds of darkness where we live for loud partying, reveling and drunkenness. Deeds of darkness is when we engage in sexual immorality and debauchery. Debauchery, when's the last time you used that word? Debauchery simply means I live for my senses, I live for my feelings, but it's got this idea of excessive indulgence where, you know, it's like when you have had that one piece of chocolate cake and it's actually enough, but you have another because that's just excessive indulgence because you feel like you want it and you need it. So it's a lot to do with living by and, and for our feelings, but in excess. So, like, I feel like, you know, I, I love this person and I want to engage in sexual immorality with them, so I overindulge and I, I get into places that I should never get. Let's keep in mind that sexual immorality is not personally defined by us, it's defined by scriptures. You can read chapters in the Bible like Leviticus 18 and so on to get a full picture of what Paul's referring to here. But essentially, sexual immorality is when I engage in any sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage with my spouse. That's what the Bible says. Any kind of sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage with my spouse. The Bible would classify that broadly as falling under this. Those are deeds of darkness. I'm not governed by that. My life is not governed by that. And then Paul interestingly lists two social sins, which he's kind of going to get into a lot more in chapters 14 and 15 of Romans. But he talks about dissensions, making divisions, and jealousy. These are not part of what characterizes the Christian, the transformed people of God. We put aside those things so that, and this is the wonderful purpose, so that, verse 14, we can clothe ourselves with Christ and we do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. Now, our sinful nature is probably a good translation there. If I can put that in just modern day language as I would understand it, I think what Paul is saying here is get so busy with Jesus, not for Jesus, with Jesus. Get so busy with Jesus that you don't have time to sin. Be so on fire for God, so on fire by the Holy Spirit that you're so mindful and your mind's wrapped up with pleasing God, living with him, relating with him, doing what's pleasing to him, that you don't have time to worry and to think about sin. It's interesting how much time sin, how oftentimes sin starts about how we think about it. We think about our desires, our illegitimate desires. We think about how to gratify our needs and our wants. And those thoughts often translate into actions. So there's a real sense where this starts as a battle for the mind and a battle for the way that we think. And so as we apply this message today, I think there's two parts. There's a me part for me as an individual. Let's remember Romans 1 and 2 where I need to hold my life before God and let him come and work in me internally. Take me through this process of metamorphosis to change me on the inside so that I can express this outside of my life with my family, in my Christian community, so that we can become this transformed community of God. So I have an individual responsibility to deal with sin, to not be captured and conformed by this age, but to start being transformed by the renewing of my mind. By the way, important way to be transformed by the renewing of your mind is to read the scriptures because that's where the will of God is revealed to us very clearly. The more we understand from the scriptures how God wants us to live, the more transformed we can be. So the we application, the us together. The transformed people of God love sincerely each other and outside. And those things are very practically expressed. The transformed people of God live by the opposite spirit. The transformed people of God live 
with one day in mind. We deal with reality. We don't ignore reality. We deal with reality. But we let how we live in the present be governed by what's going to be our, the wonderful future existence we're going to have. And then lastly, the transformed people of God live by putting aside some things and putting on Christ. The transformed people of God can truly say, the sins I used to do, I do them no more. Last scripture, and I thought it would be good to quote Jesus on this. If you can turn in your Bibles and devices to John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus said, by this, by this thing, this one th element, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this thing, everyone will know that you are the people of God who represent God on the earth, who represent God in a lost and fallen world. This one thing is, if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. After Jesus said this about 30 years later, Paul picks up in Romans and he says, love must be sincere. And we've spoken about what sincere love looks like today. What does sincere love mean? Because God wants a transformed people on the earth. Because it's those, it's the transformed people of God. It's the church of Jesus Christ that shines a light in the world and shows them how to truly live. Shows them that they have a father who loves them without exception. But he loves them so much that he wants them to be transformed and to change into the image of his son, to become more and more like Jesus. And this is our challenge today. Can we be the transformed people of God. Let's each pick up our individual responsibility, but let's also remember that we have a responsibility as a community to reflect the love of God in a lost, dying, and broken world. Let us pray. Father, work in me by your Spirit so that I'm not captured and conformed, but that I can be transformed. Change me on the inside so that I can become more and more like Jesus. And then help me to live that out. Let my clock face to the world demonstrate Christ. And as we do that together, Lord, make us the transformed community, the community that has changed into the higher order community that you want us to be. Help us to love sincerely. Thank you that you loved us first. And it's as we respond to that love and we love ourselves well that we can love others sincerely too. So I pray for each person listening today that where the word of God needs to be applied to them, where you want to bring transformation in their lives, you would empower them and give them the grace to do that. Give them the courage to ask for help if they need help. But by the power of your spirit, set us free from our sin patterns, from our conforming to this age and help us to live the transformed life, the good life that you've always planned for us to live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.